Everybody, welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, and today we're talking about an Oscar-winning film, 2002's adaptation. And I have two wonderful guests. First off, let me introduce the person who is here in the studio. It is the co-host of the Why Do You Know That podcast. It's writer-performer Nadia Osman. Hi. How's it going, Nadia? Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You have your delightful, refreshing water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you have coffee this morning? I did. Okay. Thank God. Thank God. I, I will. Otherwise, it would be kind of a nightmare to see. I am not a morning person. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be a morning person. Uh, if I don't have the coffee, I, I become one of those people that's the, uh, those laser wood cuts that you see at like the Marshall sales rack that are like, don't talk to me until I've had my, I am that person. Yeah. Just, uh, walking around, eyes half closed. Yes. Not really here. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully that's not the case with our other guest who's joining us from Arizona, a remote scientist guest. He is the postdoctoral research associate at University of Arizona. It's Kenneth Chapin. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for, I was going to say being here, but thanks for joining us. Virtually, yeah. Yeah, and you prefer to be called Kenny, right? So I should not yeah. call you Kenneth? Yeah, Kenny is great. Uh, Kenneth is like my official name that goes on, you know, paperwork and stuff. But uh, Kenny is what most folks call me. I'm going to call it and say Kenneth is as pretentious as the film adaptation. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. So that's actually a pretty good place to start. That's like a common critique of the film is that it's like, yeah, very pretentious. And I think that it's weird because Charlie Kaufman's character in the movie, Charlie Kaufman, who wrote the screenplay based on the book, The Orchid Thief, and he's played by Nicolas Cage and his fake brother is played by Nicolas Cage, who's Donald. If you haven't seen the movie... It's going to be complicated as hell for me to try to explain it to you, so you really just have to watch it, I think. But he, it seems like, hates uh, pretentious stuff. Like, he says a few times in the movie, don't say industry, don't say pitch, don't call me my friend, stuff like that, which I thought was, like, an anti-pretentious attitude. See, I think those are just words that get used, Mm. and it feels like so much of what he's trying to make in this film is super pretentious, this idea that, like, even though he's having this uh, internal crisis in himself and how's he going to write this thing, uh, so much of, I feel like, what was happening is watching one man slowly unravel because everything he thought was true when he was 22 is no longer true when he's in his late 30s, something like that. Right, yeah. Uh, and so much of that, I think, comes down to how he's trying to open the film, what he's trying to say about it, what is it thematically, and I go... Your 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 fake twin brother in this makes more sense. Just make a fucking movie. Yeah. Oh God, can I curse? You can fucking curse. Okay. That's totally fine. I should have um, asked that before. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, I I I think that that he kind of came around though. No, towards the end, it seems like he really did uh, adopt his brother's philosophy. Yeah. By the end, he seems to be more on board with like, yeah, just make a movie. So like by the third act, I was like, okay, this is fine. But those first two acts. He is such an insufferable character. All I kept writing down in my notes is just, why? No, I hate him. What's happening? <laughs> I felt bad for him. I was like almost crying at the, you know, his awkward moments with his dates. I just felt, uh, I don't know. No, he just needs therapy. He yeah, just needs a good true. therapist. He just needs to work his shit out with some self-help books. Yep. He is he is a man who's getting in the way of himself. He is a self-sabotager, and he's self-aware enough to know this, and yet does nothing to change it. And that is, to me, the worst kind of person. Yeah, okay. I could see that. <laughs> I wasn't seeing it that way when I saw the film, but now that you're saying it, it does make a lot of sense to me. I Okay, well, let me ask you this at least. Did you enjoy the film? Yes, by the end, I had come around to it. But the first act, uh, I just kept writing. Like, he at some point, about minute 12, which is typically, if you're writing a screenplay about the time when you would sort of come up with your catalyst or thesis statement, mm-hmm. he says, Charlie... Nicholas Cage 1 says to Donald, Nicholas Cage 2, 
uh, writing is a journey into the unknown. And I just wrote, no, it's not. And with like 14 exclamation marks after it, because it really isn't. To me, writing is very much about you're thinking through the thing that you want to say. Uh, so much of this whole movie would be solved if he just fucking outlined. Right. If he just <laughs> yeah. wrote his thoughts down and went, okay, let's just outline this, which I I never see until like the end when he's finally beaded it out. And I'm like, what are you doing? You sold stuff before. What did you just sell? Did you just sell thoughts? Did you sell a diary I mean, entry? maybe. His movies are pretty crazy. That's so, true. So, you know, we all have a different process, and I wouldn't be shocked to hear that Charlie Kaufman's process is, like, off the rails, where he just rambles into a tape recorder. That's true, <laughs> and it's so crazy because this film is so much about him and his his actual... Pr- like, so much of him is inserted into this to the nth degree yeah. that it's really difficult to sort of separate, well, how much of this is you over-exaggerating, how much of this is... Almost too much of you. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Did you? Was this your first time watching adaptation? It is. It oh. was long on the list of movies that I should have watched a while ago. I've yeah. got a big, 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 long uh, Google Doc that's many, many pages long of the things I'm either supposed to see or I should see at some point. This right. has been on it. Yeah, and for I, some reason, people put it on the back burner, I think. I'm it, not sure why. I think because it's crazy and it's not an easy film to describe. Like, if you have yes. to logline it, it's basically Charlie Kaufman, the eccentric screenwriter, and the eccentric screenwriter's fake twin brother, mm-hmm. both played by Nicolas Cage, are trying to write different screenplays at the same time, and the B story is all about the... the Orchid Thief and adapting it. Yes. And none of that really comes together till the end of the film. And right. then it actually like goes places. Yes, yes. And it's a commentary on that. The fact that like you see films that don't go anywhere. Yeah, it doesn't really scream like I gotta watch that tonight. Yeah. That's that sounds great. Yeah, that's not really a date flick. No, no. Unless the guy you're dating is like just talks about graduating from Tish all the time. <laughs> yeah, in which all case, the time. maybe uh, recalibrate your relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so Kenny, what about you? Was this your first time watching it, and what did you think of the movie? It was not my first time. I think I first saw this, I don't know, probably around when it first came out, and I was like an angsty uh, teenager or young college student, and I thought it was very deep and stuff. Um, yeah. But what's interesting, so I love the movie. I've seen it a bunch of times. It gets a lot of complaints, not only because of Nicolas Cage, but because it is kind of pretentious, but that's kind of the point. Like you're supposed to not like Charlie. Right. Uh, and Charlie's whole story is that nothing really happens. And spoiler alert, the second, the last third of the movie is all, you know, made up fiction um, because he failed at writing an, an adaptation of the book. So the part where everyone thinks it gets good is actually the part when he sort of breaks down and gives in to just writing, you know, writing the screenplay with a bunch of tropes and, murder scenes and drugs and sex and stuff. Yes, very true. Uh, I also loved the movie. I got to say, I saw it a long time ago. I don't know if it was when it came out, but I do know it was just like a bit ago. And uh, and yeah, I just really got a kick out of the whole like meta ness of the movie. And I I normally Nicholas Cage was like a huge surprise to me in this movie because normally it's like oh okay it's Nicholas you know another like action movie kind of you know normal Nicholas Cage I guess. So I was really happy to see him playing these like really weird uh, roles. Um, but uh, Chris Cooper won an Oscar for this movie, and I think rightfully so. He was incredible. Meryl Streep, incredible. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm glad to hear that you that you also dug it. I, I really, I don't know, I, I had a great time watching this movie over again and was almost at the point of tears. Again, I really <laughs> felt bad for him. Now, I don't know. Now I feel like maybe Nadia is right, and he just needs to like face his shit and get a therapist. Yeah. I think the cast is great. I just, I mean, Nick Cage can do no wrong, truly. Like, that man's catalog uh, is all over the map, but yeah. he is phenomenal. Meryl's phenomenal. Chris Cooper's phenomenal. Even the the bit parts of everybody else playing it. Young Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, great. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Um, young Judy Greer, who is, like, criminally underutilized in this film. Yes. Um, so many people. Oh, a uh, young... I wrote at first. I wrote Young Coach Taylor, and then I realized no, it's it was Ron Livingston. So then I wrote Young Office Space. Young Office uh, Space <laughs> is in this movie. Everybody has these like little bit parts that really contribute to the world that I enjoyed quite a bit. So everybody was bringing their A game. Yeah, but it does just make me go like Charlie, buddy, just therapy, man. Get it therapy. together, Charlie. Ther- Self care. Yeah. You deserve things. Just treat yourself nice. God damn. That's a nice message to come away with. I think in this movie, which I didn't. So. 
that's that's good to to conclude it like that. Okay, before we get into the million questions that I have, both about the movie and about just your entire uh, background, uh, Kenny, I, I did have a little game I wanted to play called the Orchid Brief. The Orchid Brief. The Orchid Brief. The Orchid Brief. The Orchid. Nothing to do with a coral reef. It's the Orchid Brief. It's the Orchid Brief. It's a brief. So I have a few just quick like trivia factoid questions about orchids. I don't know how much either of you know about orchids, but I'll have Nadia answer first, and then Kenny, maybe you'll know, maybe you won't. How how adept are you at, at, at orchid knowledge? Uh, getting beyond uh, bugs, uh, my knowledge goes way down, so plants is pretty far in my wheelhouse. Okay, great. So more than likely, a bunch of wrong answers await us. <laughs> oh, I can guarantee it on my end. <laughs> okay, great. Well, or maybe you're a good guesser, and you have, uh, you know, premonitions. Maybe you're a prophet. Um, okay, first question. How many seeds can be found in a single orchid seed pod? 32. Okay. Wow. I'm going to say... Uh, I mean, several thousand. I'll say, wait, in a single pod? In a single orchid seed pod. Uh, let's go with 300. The answer is up to 3 million. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. They Way are off. <laughs> like super tiny, uh, like dust particles. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. Uh, and here's another one. How many years can an orchid live for? Oh, I'm going to say... Th- I feel like orchids, they feel like they're a flower with longevity. Yes. Um, let's go with like 25 years. 25 years from Nadia Osman. Yeah, I, I think uh, they're going to live a long time. They kind of tend to have a slow life history where a lot of orchids I know only like flower once every five years, 10 years, something like that. So, yeah, I, I would say I'll say 50 years. The answer is up to 100 years. Oh. If yeah. you cut them open, is it similar to trees with rings? I don't know. Kenny? Uh, you might be able to see some uh, some aging patterns, but you won't really see the, 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 same, the same patterns that you see in, like, hardwood trees. Um, sure. But, yeah, I mean, they should get, you know, slowly over time, maybe build up layers that you would be able to detect. I really wish that humans were closer to plants in that you could not detect the aging process <laughs> very, very clearly. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> How old is that? I have no idea. Um, okay, what popular ice cream flavor is a type of orchid? Oh, okay. Popular, pop, like really popular? Like, it's, we yeah, all know one it. of the keystone, yeah. Okay, mint? Kenneth Chapin. I'm going to say uh, vanilla. Vanilla is correct. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes more sense. V- vanilla is... <laughs> Mint is an herb. What am I doing? I'm Where sorry. I'll I? see myself out. <laughs> and see you later, Nadia. Great to have you. Bye. Um, bye-bye. Vanilla, uh, it's extracted from, uh, yeah, from vanilla plan- planifolia, which is a species of orchid. Uh, you know, cool. in my head, it's like you always think vanilla bean. Right. And I guess, like, even though I know the beans come in sort of, like, if you get fresh vanilla and you're scraping it out, it kind of, yes. kind of comes in that, like, leafy, tuby thing. Yeah. I guess in my head, it was like... Is that know. from the orchid, Kenny? Is that what yeah. we're all thinking of? Yeah, that's the, the pod. So with your first question, how many seeds can be a po- in a pod? When you scrape out a vanilla pod, you get these little black... Dots. Sometimes it's in like French vanilla. Um, and those are the seeds. Is there a big difference between French vanilla and regular vanilla? American vanilla? I think it's more vanilla, or maybe it has some of that actual, you know, material instead of just like the the oil or whatever. But I, I know there's Madagascar nice vanilla, uh, and Madagascar vanilla is I assume from that region, and hence. The named name. that way. Yeah, so uh, vanilla is native to Mexico, but it's grown a lot in, in Madagascar. It's um, native to is, Mexico? Yep. I know nothing. So do they have the best vanilla? Well, uh, there's a lot of controversy. So if you're if, if you're coming from the culinary perspective, people think that Madagascar vanilla is kind of the primo um, because mm-hmm. of their um, there's more regulation about pesticides and things like that. Um, but also using vanilla in general is pretty uh, not that great for the environment because orchids tend to grow in um, pretty special environments. So we know that like in Madagascar, there's a lot of um, natural habitat that's since been kind of torn down for the sake of vanilla. Um, so there's an argument for going with artificial flavoring. Oh, oh. no. Yeah. So we, oh. we shouldn't have vanilla 
unless it's artificial vanilla? Well, so artificial vanilla, it's vanilla, vanilla nin or vanilla lin is the chemical name. And it's the meaning, it's ex- chemically exactly the same as the main flavor in vanilla. There are some other uh, flavors in real vanilla, some subtle things that you might not get. But otherwise, chemically, they're exactly the same, except with the chemically made vanilla, you don't have to spend all these years harvesting these pods and things wow. like that. What if we just stick to, I don't know, like strawberry? What if we just convince... No yeah, longer... Culinarily speaking, like, yeah. hey guys, vanilla, that's so great. You might want to stick to a fruit. Yeah, I like the the idea of... of uh, promoting that it is the fake vanilla yeah it's like we do not have natural vanillas here we will not carry (laughs) vanilla oh okay we're on to (laughs) something it's not real but it is more fun it's safer take note food companies hire me to hire me to make your beyond meat you could have done so much better there's so many puns just waiting there i'm sure yeah come on Just now I'm just angry. I'm so pissed. Um, okay, how long have orchids existed on the planet Earth? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say since, ooh, what dinosaur periods do I know? Well, Cre- just give me the years. I mean, if you want to name a period, that's cool. Cretaceous. Cre- I just won't Crustaceous? know. I, I'll say, six. Uh, what is that, 60,000 years? That th- Those answers are also probably wrong. Somebody out there is a dino expert, and they're just, like, <laughs> screaming in their car, just going, no, you idiot. Uh, I'll say 60,000 years. 60,000 years. So we're a little bit older. Um, so uh, they're flowering plants, right? So we can think about when flowering plants first came about, and what flowering plants are really into is getting uh, other things to help pollinate them. So flowers are kind of these um, traps to, to get a bug to go and, and spread pollen around. So that all started, we have fossil evidence of pollen on bugs from like 160 million years ago. Oh, sorry. Wow. I meant to add a one in front of mine <laughs> and then add more zeros behind yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I thought yeah, when thank you said that. You. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. We're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I had. A hundred million years. Yeah. They don't know exactly when, but they said it's one of the oldest flowers that uh, we know about. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's crazy. And yeah. I just get, I feel dumber and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the point of the pod. Uh, you know, we, we learn more with every minute, I hope. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about, they, they spoke briefly in the movie about how, what, what you're saying to, to, to piggyback on that, Kenny, is that like the orchids look like insects, a lot of them. So the insects will come and, and make yeah. love to them, as they said in the movie, right. which I wanted to ask you about the validity of that comparison. But also, I was looking up orchids and there's orchids that look like animals. There's an orchid that looks like an owl and an orchid that looks like a monkey. And it's pretty accurate. Like they look like, <laughs> like the animal a lot. So if you haven't seen that, I don't know, look it up on Google. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So there are a couple of things going on there. I mean, some of it is the orchids sometimes accidentally just look like an animal to us humans when they're not actually, you know, they haven't evolved to try and do that. But in a lot of other cases, mm-hmm. they are actually, they have actually adapted to look like the insect that's their host. Um, and we call this sensory bias. So an animal has a sensory bias if you can kind of hijack their hijack their sensory systems and make them more attracted to, to some other cue. Uh, wow. So there's a, a classic example in Australia. I, there's some beetle that um, finds mates by looking for uh, a beetle that's the same color as it, and it's this color orange. And this beetle, it ends up, tries to mate with, like, everything in the world that is that color orange. So, like... Uh, construction signs and, uh, uh, you know, construction cones and all these things, uh, they'll also go after. So that's an example of sensory bias where humans are introducing this thing and it's making the animals attracted to it. Flowers have been doing this for millions of years. So they are evolving to be really attractive to their host to um, get them to visit the flower. So So it is true that there are, you know, there's a lot of orchids that look very much like like a bee, uh, especially a nice female bee, uh, that's, that would make a good mate. Um, so they're really trying to hijack, um, that sensory system that the bee has evolved in order to, for the, for the flower to sort of take advantage of it and use it for its own advantage. Wow. And, and so you, but you're saying that the fact that it looks like these animals, these bigger animals is just coincidence or just some sort of weird randomization? Yeah, pretty much. I, there's a lot of cool, really interesting patterns and extra structures that all these orchids have. And that, that attributes to some of it. Yeah. 
And I guess that's just also like a matter of probability because there's so many species of orchids, right? I think they said in the movie there's like over 20,000 or 25,000 species of orchids. Yeah, they're a super diverse group. Um, and I would also say that humans have uh, have really evolved to recognize patterns, visual patterns, and also to recognize um, faces. So humans see face, you know, we see like Jesus on toast, right? We see faces and shapes of animals and all these things. So it's something that we're predisposed to do because of our evolution. I have a legitimate question and then a fake question. The legitimate question is, uh, do pheromones have anything to do with sensory bias? Because it's smell, right? Yeah. Yeah. So pheromones are really important. They're important for people and a lot of animals. Um, and I'm sure they've been hijacked. A lot of my research is, is looking at um, animal cooperation and conflict and how that, these systems of, that animals have evolved get messed with. So how animals maybe are in a social group, how do cheaters come in and take advantage of that social group? So I'm sure there's examples. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I'm sure there must be examples of um, some animals that have evolved pheromones. Um, one that comes to mind is I'm pretty sure there's some moths that the one of the sexes sends out a pheromone signal, and there are some predators that will pick up on that pheromone. Um, to, to get a, a quick meal instead of, um, you know, being a mate that they would be able to find. Oh, that's not good for them. No. Uh, the fake question is, so basically, I guess it's, it's, it's real, but uh, you'll see. Uh, these, so orchids make themselves look like other animals, essentially, specifically insects, uh, with the sole intention of making that insect horny as hell so that that insect is trying to mate with the flower and thus pollinate. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's not a, okay. that's not a crazy uh, question or thought at all. And that's not the only way that orchids attract their pollinators. So one is by the sensory bias to get them attracted as a mate. They also offer a, a reward, a food reward. So that's what nectar is, right? The only reason that flowers are making nectar is to convince an insect to come to it and and to um, move its pollen around. So could we say that orchids are, are at least maybe not the horniest flower, but like top five horniest plants? I Somewhere mean, top ten, maybe. flower in general. Uh, okay, so just flowers, flowers overall, horny. Yeah. I, I think, you know, they mentioned in the movie that uh, orchid comes from orcus, which is, uh, I think, Latin for testi- testicle. Right. And, and that they're all about, I mean, really flowers are really all about sex and, and, and making that, you know, happen. Making that Is that why we give flower, like that's like the classic like first date, you that's know, second fun. date, show up with flowers? Maybe. Okay. I think it's also because we think of aphrodisiacs as like things that either look like genitals or like, mm-hmm. you mm. know, going, going way back in human history or supposed like you know, you eat oysters and suddenly you will feel a certain way, that kind of thing, or chocolate, which is really just like, what, a serotonin valve, uh, or releasing serotonin when you eat certain foods. Uh, But specifically, flowers seem to be just just not just even symbols of horniness, but they are horny themselves. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Compared to, like, okay. other animals that feel like, eh, maybe, maybe, like, they need to sometimes. be. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Some are more than others, and some are just, like, you know, like a panda bear. It's like, well, I'll, I'll get around to it when I feel like it. Yeah. They don't seem, like, in any hurry to propagate their species. But yeah. flowers are like, we go fuck. <laughs> Specifically is your, orchids. Is that your professional opinion, Kenny? <laughs> Um, yeah, I would say Sign so. Off on that. I think that's, I mean, for a lot of animals, that's the name of the game. But when you're an animal that, or an organism, I should say, because we're talking about plants, that, um, you know, doesn't live as long. So there's a lot of plants that are annuals. They only live one year. So they really have to reproduce every year. Otherwise. Yeah, they die a virgin. Right. Nobody wants that. <laughs> uh, and then orchids, it's kind of different. So some orchids can, like the, like the ghost orchid in the movie, can live a really long time. But they need to uh, coordinate when they all flower so that they can share um, gametes, uh, sperm and eggs, right? Um, so they can share pollen. So they have these, like, really rare flowering events where they'll, they'll all flower at the same time. But in order to sort of orchestrate that, they sometimes end up flowering quite rarely. Um, That's wow. kind of sweet that they all got on the same page together and are like, we're all going to we're all gonna fuck at the same time. Yeah, it's like when you have kids around the same time with your friends. Yeah. It's like, oh, they can go to school together. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's nice. That's that cute. a lot in nature. Uh, one thing I'm reminded of is coral reefs. Um, all the different corals get a signal uh, 
when it's uh, a full moon, I think the longest night of the year, the full moon, where they all spawn and produce uh, egg and sperm that then can, um, uh, you know, match up in the water column. That uh, seems so like kind of more... Coordinating sex is an important thing in, in a lot of areas of biology. I feel like for a coral reef, though, that just seems like a lot more organizational work. Like there's one reef that has to get nominated, one, one specific uh, point of coral that's just like, ugh, okay, it's my year. Okay, fine. All yeah. right, I'll take this. It's like being PTA president. <laughs> just well, like having to organize so everything for one. Coral, like releasing egg and sperm out into the water, right? So if, if let's say humans tried to mate like that, it would be really, it really wouldn't work out well unless a lot of people coordinated. It's just one day we shut down humanity. This is the day we're all fucking, so we need you to get on board. That's kind of um, how it happens. So you, we have... We have dumber holidays. <laughs> Might as well. But yeah, I mean, there'll be whole reefs of you know thousands of individual coral that all on the same night will will spawn, and only on that. Wow. And so, just to because uh, if someone is listening to this podcast in the future, just explain what a coral reef is, because I don't think they're going to have <laughs> yeah, any right. idea. Oh, uh, that's a sad. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Okay, so I, I'm glad you mentioned the ghost orchid, actually, because, you know, that's like the main flower in this film. It's like this super rare thing that they, uh, John LaRoche, uh, I th- think was his name, is trying to, like, poach. He's trying to, like, steal uh, ghost orchids because they're, like, super rare. So does that ring true? Are they actually, like, sought after that way? Yeah, I mean, ghost orchids are, um, they're protected I don't really know what the current status of their population is. I think they're kind of okay. I know there are, um, I've heard there are problems with pollination because mm-hmm. they flower so rarely. Um, I think there are some, some people that are studying them are worried about the effects of climate change and how that might alter their, their flowering. So right now they'll only flower maybe once every 10 years or so. Um, so it's these rare events and you have to kind of have this perfect storm of all these, uh, orchids flowering and then also having a bunch of pollinators out that will, you know, share this pollen around between the different orchids. So it's kind of a touchy thing, right? So you can see how for that reason, um, you know, coming, someone coming in and collecting a couple thousand would really have long-term impacts on a population. Um, Wowzers. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I don't know how big of an issue poaching is in, in Florida in particular. I know it still happens. Um, And poaching internationally for plants is, is still, uh, a problem. Wow. Okay. So there, yeah, there's endangered plant lists just like there are animals and, uh, and rules and security to make sure people don't do it. Yep. Okay. So I, I stop eating vanilla and don't buy rare plants, I guess. Is that good so far? Well, if, I mean, if the rare plant is raised in captivity, you know, if you know where it came from, that's great. But, um, yeah, I would be wary, uh, just know, know where your stuff's coming from. And that goes for all kind of living living things that you might consume. Is that like an exciting story that we could make into a movie still that like uh, people are hunting for rare plants or flowers because they're worth millions of dollars and they sell them on the black market? I mean, I, I'm not a movie producer, but I, yeah. I mean, if you look at there's a lot of other animals that keep saying animals, I should say organisms that are, um, you know, more ho- high profile. So um, like the pangolin recently got a lot of media attention for, for poaching. Um, rhinos. Um, so they're sort of uh, what we call megafauna. They're these big charismatic species. So, um, But a, a lot of people are still poaching a lot of other organisms. Um, there are spiders that are, are endangered and, and CITES listed and, and certainly at orchids. Actually, if I'm memory serves, I'm pretty sure all species of orchids are CITES listed, which means that um, international trade is controlled. Okay, well, uh, you you mentioned Florida. I'm from Florida, and you said you lived there for a time or studied or researched there or something? I'm from there. Oh, you're from Florida. What part of Florida? Uh, Sebastian, Florida. It's like an hour and a half south of Orlando. I'm pretty sure I've driven through there. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Florida a little bit. I've been to Orlando, uh, Boynton Beach, Miami, and the Keys. Okay. So, yeah, we have some Floridian uh, expertise here on the podcast. All on the one side of the panhandle. You ask me about, uh, I guess, clear water. I don't know anything. <laughs> and you don't need to. I'll tell you what. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ken, I, I got to be honest. I went to the first thing I looked up about you was your website. And the first thing I saw 
you have these you have a video that plays of these terrifying huge spiders. Yeah. Oh, I don't like this. And they're battling and it's like immediately scary. Oh, no, 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 thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, first of all, if you are into that, uh, kennethchapin.com, if What's I'm not mistaken. What's wrong with you and, is my question. Right, exactly. Second question is, are you obsessed with spiders and why? So, I'm definitely obsessed with spiders. Um, I have to preface this with the things that you see fighting on, on my website are not actually spiders. They oh, are. okay, good. So those don't exist. So not only are you putting exist. giant, not only do you have giant bugs on a video, but you're tricking us. Yeah. yeah. So thanks called, a lot. They're called whip spiders, but evolutionarily they're in their own order. So they're not actually uh, a type of spider. They're in their own group. Um, but yeah, they're really big. Um, those individuals I was filming, they have a leg span of seventy centimeters, um, which is pretty huge. Um, Yikes. Yeah. And so, and when I say leg span, it's because, so most spiders walk on eight legs. These guys walk on six legs and instead oh. they use their two front legs like feelers. So they're called antenna form legs because they're like antenna. Cool. So they're pretty much blind and they have these long legs that they put out that they can, um, they can smell with them and taste. They can sense vibrations um, and kind of do all these cool communication things. Um, and that's how they kind of uh, eke out a living. Um, and so, yeah, they, they also look terrifying, but I just say they're not venomous. Mm. They can't hurt you. They're really mm. like delicate and fragile. Um, I have a lot of students I take out in the field and they all start really freaked out by them. But by the end, they're all kind of fall in love with them a little bit. And uh, they're, they're kind of cute once you get to know them, I think. That would take me a while. <laughs> so, and they're not spiders. They're they're called whip spiders. So, I guess my question is also like, do they whip stuff? And then, what are they if not spiders? Yeah. So the the whips are from those long front legs. That's where they get the whip name from. Oh, okay. Uh, and so like, looks like a whip. Yeah. So there okay. there are several different orders of arachnid. So you know, like arachnophobia is a fear of well, spiders and their relatives. So mm. spiders are one group. Scorpions are another. Um, if you ever see camel spiders or sun spiders, um, they're another group. We have these whip spiders, daddy long legs are another group. Um, so they're actually a lot, actually, uh, ticks are another group. Um, ticks and mites are also a type of arachnid. So they're a non spider arachnid. Um, so there it's, so it's an arachnid and it's called a whip spider and it's not a spider. Right. Great. Science yeah. is confusing. Right. I gotta say, you know, nature's amazing, but every thing that you just named in that in those groups is my nightmare yeah i true i i'm so sorry i'm so sorry to break this news to you ken i, I, I don't I you know something this. i pitch for like outreach and stuff is i think you can get people really excited about um how scary and creepy these things are i think they're yeah. kind of creepy too i you know that's kind of why i like them it, it makes research exciting that you work with an animal that is some somewhat unpredictable or you know maybe has a some venom, you know, these whip spiders don't, but but other species. I mean, it's yeah, it's certainly not boring, and people right. love horror movies. Yeah. See, I see. This is part of it. Is I'm not. I'm becoming more of a horror buff, but mm. uh, for a long time, I was just like, why would I seek out being scared? No, thank you. There's enough yeah. scary things in the world. I want things that are calm and nice. And I think to be scared of like weird fake stuff is cool and I'm down with that mm -hmm. but to you know because what you just said there's so much real scary stuff it's like I don't I don't want to think about that yes be... like all these dang spiders yeah that I... you're just that and, you're just keep you're just posting videos of for, to I'm sure for educational purposes but in my mind it's like why are you trying to deliberately scare me yeah Nadia? why are you attacking Nadia Kenny yeah answer that Kenny well I don't think it's to try and scare you but I, th I think, you know, a lot of my uh, spider colleagues are, you know, they would want to convince the public to not be afraid and to, um, you know, like spiders and cuddle with them. Instead, I am sort of on the dark side of, of <laughs> arachnology and I'm saying, no, isn't it cool that they're weird and isn't it cool that they're bizarre and can be gross and can be scary? And, you know, I, I think that's what makes them really interesting. Um, do I, do the spy, do you and your fellow spider colleagues have like a fun name <laughs> beyond just spider colleagues? Like, is there some sort of like gr you know a group? Like, you know, you got the Avengers. What are you? Oh, what, is, what is your Avengers name? Well, we maybe we could come up with one. Uh, so hmm. it's the American Arachnological Society. 
But I don't know how. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> so lame. Nerd squad. Sp- I mean, spider squad. I don't know. Spider well, squad's not bad. It's That's a, a good start. Yeah, it's a starting point. Yeah, we'll get somewhere. We'll noodle on it. I've had I've had a few spider experts, insect experts on the show, Kenny, and I always end up asking this question, so I might as well ask you, and Nadia, you can weigh in, please. When you see a spider in your home, okay, your bedroom, I don't know, the kitchen, do you, because you work with them and such, let them live and say, like, oh, this is my friend, I am cool with this thing, do you try really hard to, like, trap it and release it into the wild, or is it insta-kill mode? Yeah, so for me, uh, I think trapping it and letting it out is a nice thing to do. I probably just, it wouldn't even phase me. I would just kind of let it. I, I, a lot oh. of spiders, at least where I am, that you see indoors are um, spiders that are normally associated with people, um, some of which only really live indoors with people. Um, so right. I kind of let them uh, do their thing. Hmm. Yeah. Nadia? Oh, I'm fighting insta-kill mode because I know that they do good. I know that they're here for a reason. Uh, there's spiders that eat mosquitoes, correct? Yeah. And yeah. that's a huge issue is like if we kill the spiders and uh, the mosquitoes. mosquitoes continue to flourish and the mosquitoes are basically there to uh, spread disease and be an annoyance. Uh, so I know that I need to trap them. Really, I think what happens is I go into uh, instant fright. Yeah. So it's not the flight and it's not a fight, but it's just curling up and being like, who can I call <laughs> to help me get the spider out of my house? And it also depends on the spider because I know uh, some spiders are not venomous or not meant to harm me. They're just there to chill and hang out and I need to respect that and f- help them find their way just out of my purview. Uh, and then occasionally there will be a, bug, a spider or bug where I'm just like, I don't know what you are, and I don't know how you got in here, and I need you out now. Yeah, I get I get pretty instantaneously scared as well and do whatever I can to get it out. However, I will say I saw for the first time in my life a mosquito get trapped in a spider's web and then eaten in like a half a second Ugh. by the spider, and it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. I was hyped up. It was like my sports team just won straight up. You know what I'm talking about, Kenny? Does that do you do you get thrilled? Uh, <laughs> I get thrilled sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they're, they. I loved it. Their uh, ecosystem service wise, they do a lot for us. They're they're saving us a lot of money on us. Ooh. You know, putting out less uh, uh, pesticides, things like that. We do a thing called integrated pest management where. You can collect a bunch of spiders and release them out into an uh, agricultural area uh, instead hmm. of having to put out a bunch of chemicals. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're helping us out for sure. So there's some direct benefits. But I think the real reason to appreciate them is just because they're cool. Um, you know, well, I'll, I'll, try, I'll, I'll keep trying on that one, but I don't know, Kenny. Really? I mean, I mean they're cool, but more frightening than cool for me. Maybe that's why they're cool, though. Maybe you, oh, just that's a good call. you know, you say you, you spend some time watching their behavior and watch them, you know, eat. And maybe yep. we had more experiences where we were getting into the spider world instead of the spiders coming into our world. You know, maybe we would see them a little bit differently. I mean, that's a good point. Seeing it in action, like do its thing. I was fascinated. I thought that was like the, the closest I've come to my, uh, being a, a spider expert. Yeah, my fear of bugs does not necessarily come from seeing them in the wild um, or in their natural habitats. It really comes from, you're in my space, bitch. I need you out now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's an intrusion of, you know, there's a lack of control happening in my own home that freaks me out. It has very little to do with the actual bug. Yeah, we got to be more like Kenny and get out to these tropical rainforests and check out these spiders, which I'm sure we're both just down to do, Uh whatever. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I hear the Amazons are nice right now. Oh, man. (laughs) There's just random dark turns in this podcast. I know. Look out, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I had a couple other things that this movie just, I don't know, sparked my interest in. So one thing, there's this really funny scene where they're in the, the van and Meryl Streep is asking Chris Cooper's character about just dropping stuff that he loves because she's trying to like look for a passion that's like her main drive in the movie her passion is to be passionate about something and he's super passionate about orchids and so she's asking him like but what about these other passions that you've had didn't you love fish or something he gets into 
into a story about fish, and he's like, I was obsessed with fish. I would go deep diving the ocean. I love the ocean. And then one morning I woke up, and I said, fuck fish. And now I never went to the ocean again. I'm just over it. And so I was just curious because it made me think about my own life. If you guys have had a passion before that you were just all in on and, you know, either as a kid or, I don't know, teenage years, and then just one day decided, like, no, I'm done with this now. On to the next thing. I, first off, Meryl's whole arc of, like, I want to be passionate about anything. I'm just, again, I'm like, ah. Girl, get yourself to a therapist. Like, clearly you're suppressing something. So much of, I think, what we actually like. I mean, I bet I'm I'm going to wage a guess here that Kenny's love of insects comes from, like, a very young time. Like, when he was mm-hmm. a little, little, little kid, he got really into this shit and was like, spiders are cool. And then he followed that throughout his adulthood and thus became the scientist that he is today. Yes. But, uh... I, I look at Meryl and I'm like, you, surely either something happened, something like very dark happened for you to just like shut down any memories of anything passionate, or you're just the most boring person alive. Like you have no passion, nothing. Like you're just stopping yourself. Like live a little. Yeah, she seems to be just like caught up in this weird elitism yeah. of her job. I don't know. Wear a brighter color. Try <laughs> try writing for a different magazine that's not the New Yorker. Go to the go to the Hamptons. Just but, anything that I, gets you out of your rut, lady. <laughs> she she does jump into this very strange field of orchid hunting yeah. and orchid drugs, which I also wanted to ask about, like, what the hell is that? Are, oh, there, are there orchid drugs? Yeah. So, Kenny, answer me both. If you ever <laughs> drop something, a passion of yours, that you were just like, I'm done with this now, and where can we get these orchid drugs? Okay, so passion-wise, I don't know uh, that I'm just like, you know, sort of cold turkey don't be a, a Meryl. A Don't be a Meryl, Kenny. Don't be a Meryl. Don't be a Meryl. Don't be a Meryl. Well, I think Meryl's main Meryl. point There's... is that, and maybe John LaRoche's main point, is that it doesn't matter what you're passionate about. It's just finding something you can be passionate about, and what it is is less important. I think that was what John LaRoche was kind of saying, and why he you know, says fuck fish, is it, it, it's not that he loved fish, it's that he loved being obsessed with fish. Mm. What was your other question? <laughs> The other question was orchid drugs, bro. Oh yeah. So where can we snort some powdered orchid? Yeah, that I mean, that Kelly Green cocaine, as the, I wrote. Yeah, that. so all that it, ghost orchid <laughs> drug stuff was um, not real, fat, right? Okay. That was kind of the point of the movie is is that uh, the the protagonist was kind of forced to make up stories to make his movie seem exciting. Uh, Got you. But there are flowers we can snort, right? Well, there are flowers that have certainly provided uh, uh, you know medicines. For sure. I mean, poppies come to mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And what's your experience with that? <laughs> My experience with poppies? Sure. Uh, I know. You brought it up. <laughs> no experience. Um, but there are a lot. Of, there are a ton of other drugs. Uh, there are a lot of drugs that come out of the Amazon that we're still discovering all the time. Um, okay. And off the record, which ones are you experimenting with? <laughs> you got to get them yet. before the damn thing burns down. You yeah. got to get in there, Kenny. <laughs> Take the trip of your life before 20% of the world's oxygen just evaporates. Yeah. And tell us which ones to do, because I don't want to do the wrong drugs and then, you know, be tripping for four years. Sounds like a good uh, PhD project for a student. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you're out there. I'm just imagining the one student that's like, no, this will work. I can make this a thesis. I can spend seven years just being really fucking high. Yeah. And so you never like were into uh, goth clothes and music and then just decided like, oh, no, I'm not a goth kid anymore. I don't think I had like a big, I don't know. I mean, I guess I probably went through some weird phases like that. Pogs were a big thing for a while and then weren't. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's absolutely accurate. Pokemon. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Pokemon maybe is coming back or something. Oh, that's a good point. Pokemon Go. Um, okay, great. Then there was a uh, writer's block. So a huge part of the film is him suffering from writer's block. He can't, he doesn't know how to make the movie, doesn't know how to write it out. And so I wanted to know if, you know, if you had writer's block, Nadia, ever, and how do you deal with it? And for Kenny, I don't know if there's like science block or research blocks or something, but uh, but I just wanted your your 
both of your takes on that. No, I'm a perfect writer. No, I'm just okay. kidding. Um, uh, no, I think I've had, I've definitely had blocks, but I think really what it is is that I think the idea of writer's block is very romanticized. Yeah. And the notion of it is, again, a great way to sort of self-sabotage. If you really think about it, procrastination is this, we essentially we procrastinate because we're afraid of dying. Because the minute we actually set forth and do a thing, we have to face our fear, whether that's a fear of failure, whether that's a fear of acceptance, a fear of achievement, whatever that thing is. So you put off stuff because you don't want to face that fear just yet. So I feel like when I've had, I'm going to put it in quotes, writer's block, it's really more just uh, this long-term procrastinating where it's not so much, oh, I can't solve this thing. It's that either... For whatever reason, I don't have the mental or physical energy to face that thing in the back of my head that uh, Charlie or, or Nick Cage won, I should say. Really, uh, you hear his VO throughout the film and you hear him just being like, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm bald, I'm a mess. And I think that's a, that's many people. That's a very re- like a relatable, identifiable thing is they hear that voice in your head uh, telling you not to do things. Uh, because society and your peers and your family and all these people that put those voices in your head when you're really little, uh, they start to come out when you're an adult trying to do a creative endeavor. Um, so I'd really say that, like, as far as writer's block goes, I think I've got, there's been times where I've gone maybe a few weeks or a month without picking up something, or I've definitely had moments where I go, I know that whatever that thing I'm working on isn't ready yet, and I don't know that I can fix it this second which is like another thing that was driving me nuts about the film is that i was watching charlie just like i'm like go take a shower go do it go on vacation anything like you need to get out of your comfort zone um not that a shower is out of your comfort zone but like you need to do things just walk the dog like so many people if they say like how do you break uh you know how do you how do you solve a story or whatever it's like just do anything else and like your brain will naturally start to uh, you're giving you're giving your brain a break from like staring at the page. Will give yourself the opportunity to like let it come through and and filter in, and then you go, aha, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's just I think a great classic remedy for being stuck and problem solving is just take your focus away from the problem. Right? Yeah, he had to go to New York, and then the minute he goes to New York, that's when he starts solving things. And I'm like, you should have just taken a trip. Yeah. Just go, just go. The desert is an hour away. Yeah. You know? You always want to take a trip. You always talk about it. He has to go to Santa Barbara to go to that orchid fest that he keeps trying to bring women to. And I'm like, look, I get that the, I get that it's a horny plant, but also like you don't need to be horny on your work expedition. Yeah. Like just go take yourself to see like the mission Go to Ojai. It's like a nice little jaunt right away from Santa Barbara. Just give, give, put yourself in a different situation because it does force your brain to problem solve when you're not in that. Or just like give yourself a break. Why was he always thinking about work? He's just, that's the kind of guy he is probably. Obsessive a, dude. Yeah, he's got to calm down a little bit. He'll I also so love Ojai, by the way. Great. Ojai Tourism Board is going to love this podcast. <laughs> 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 it's a good, just take a break, go to Ojai. It's like nobody's touched it since like 1918. Uh, <laughs> what's this money from the Ojai Tourism Board? I'll just uh, put that in my yeah. purse. Yeah, uh, we'll edit that part out so they don't know that we're getting paid. Um, and, and Kenny, uh, what about you? How do you uh, solve when you're stuck? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have writer's block or, you know, what whatever word we want to use it um, a lot. I, I, I think um, all the points you guys had are spot on. Um, I think so as a scientist, you're, you're doing these projects, this research, a lot of them don't work out. Some of them do. And you, um, really need to write that up and make it public. So it's a common phrase that like your research really doesn't exist unless it's disseminated. Um, if no one can read about it, you know, it's like tree fell in the woods. So you have to do that. And then we do this thing called peer review. So I write up this, this research finding I have, and I want to submit it to a journal. So I, send it to the journal, they look at it, and if, if they think it's good enough, they send it out to anonymous other scientists who then essentially read it and tear it to shreds and try and poke holes in it and find everything that's wrong. Um, and then you go and revise it, and, and if they like it and they don't reject you, uh, eventually that gets published. So from, you could expect like a year to like, I mean, I know people have spent many years from first submission to getting it published. So regarding writer's block, Getting uh, those responses back, especially, you know, some people are really kind of polite and nice and have good comments. Other people 
just like, you know, rip your science apart. Um, so that can be pretty daunting. Um, so yeah, I think a big challenge, especially for younger, younger folks in science is to kind of maintain that self motivation, um, and kind of have it within you to, to keep persisting, even if, you know, uh, you know, even if you're uh, down in the dumps about your work. Oh, I can't imagine having to send off scripts and then having to wait a full year. Yeah. And then somebody come, and then a bunch of people have come back and ripped it apart. Right. That is excruciating. Yeah. yeah. So sorry you have uh, to do that. That works. Yeah. Uh, I mean, There's got to be a better system. For sure, right? It makes better science. It also prevents junk science from being published usually. But yeah, it, it, as far as uh, having this as a career, um, there, are, there are better parts about the job, I think. Well, thank God that at least once the science is published, that becomes legislation immediately. Right? <laughs> right? There's no yeah. red tape or like loopholes or people right. that have to vote depending on if it's an election year. It's just like, oh, the scientific community has all decided on this. They've gone through peer review. And so now that's the law. Yeah, that's how it works. Great. So on that note, um, uh, people should check out your podcast, Nadia. Why do you know that? Tell us about the podcast. Uh, yeah, check out my podcast. Why do you know that? I co-host it with Steve Schlaga. Um, also a very funny guy. Uh, we basically want to know why you know so much about an incredibly specific topic. So we interview uh, all walks of life about something that they really, really are into. Um, not just obsessed with, but like as hyper-specific as we can possibly get, whether that is an event, a person, a cultural movement, etc. Great. Okay, that sounds fun. And it's available wherever you get your podcasts, I'd imagine. Exactly. You can follow <laughs> us on Instagram at Why Do You Know That Pod and Twitter at Why Do You Know Pod because Twitter is weird with its characters and we kind of messed it up. <laughs> uh, and you can also email us at Why Do You Know That Pod at gmail.com if you've got questions, comments, concerns, complaints, etc. Great. And what if what if people want to follow you specifically? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Ms. M.S. Nadia Osman, N-A-D-I-A-O-S-M-A-N. Great. Ms. Nadia Osman, thank you for joining me. And Kenny, should people know about your research publication? Should they take your classes at uh, U of A? Do people call it U of A also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. sure. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a postdoc at UF, U of A, so it's a short-term research position and moving on hopefully to a professorship in a year or two. Um, huh. but if you have any bug questions or if you want to give me a job, uh, yeah, KennyChapin.com, uh, works my email and Twitter and all my other social media stuff is on there. Great. And people can check out that sweet, sweet vid of those whip oh, spiders. That's true. Oh, I, 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 I repressed it and then I just, re I haven't even seen it yet, but I have an image in my head it's of bad. what it is. It's bad. I bet it is. I mean, bad, good. Like, you know, like how Michael Jackson says bad. Yeah. Which... That's a whole other dark <laughs> territory that we could go down. Um, all right. Anyways, thank you guys both for joining me. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And if, uh, any other questions? You have a question for, for Kenny? Uh, a personal question? Uh, what, what's your favorite horny flower, Kenny? <laughs> My favorite horny flower? Uh -huh. uh, I mean, there are too many. <laughs> yeah, they're all just so damn horny. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, thank you both. See you later. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Feld. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger. And the executive Chris Cooper producer is Brett Kushner. Follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Show. That's at Bad Science Show. Or feel free to send us an email, badscience at seeker.com. That's badscience at seeker.com. Let us know what you think about the show, any movies we should do in the future. I always appreciate getting your emails. And, of course, leave us an iTunes review. That lets other people hear about the show. And I'll see you all next week. Bye.